think that's, we've got critical mass. It's three minutes after the hour. Welcome everybody, happy Tuesday. Uh, I'm Louis Lowe and we've got a rock star uh, group of CFOs here uh, ready to talk to you about how to get your company ready for sale, especially when you're not for sale. Um, and uh, I, I'm really pleased to uh, have a, just a, a great group of folks uh, here with me. And, and uh, Jenny, if you could introduce yourself, maybe we'll go around the table quickly before we get started. Jenny Sohn. Jenny, you're on mute. Sorry. So yeah, hi everyone, I'm Jenny. I work at Evernote as a CFO and Workado subsequently B2C, B2B software enterprise SaaS company. Happy to join this uh, wonderful panelist and discuss what to do, what not to do when you're ready for sale. Thank you, Jenny. Greg, Greg Kovacic. Yeah. Hey, on the large size and the bulge size deals, but in mid-market and smaller kind of early stage deals, it's been quite, uh, quite slow on consolidation. So uh, I was expecting a little bit different that there will be more M&A going and people kind of snapping up uh, deals um, and then less on funding, but it's actually been uh, kind of uh, opposite of that to a certain extent. So it's kind of interesting. The other thing I've been thinking a lot and talking to people about is this whole trend of um, people talking about people moving out of Bay Area and now that they can work remotely, they can live anywhere. There's the second order effects of companies obviously not willing to pay um, Silicon Valley salaries to people living in, in other places that are a lot cheaper, have a lot uh, lower cost of living. So um, interesting things happening. Obviously, things changing quite a bit. Yeah. Um, Jenny and I are working with a company uh, out of area that's um, with a deep tech focus. And I do think that there continues to be uh, somewhat of a, uh, of a bias uh, towards companies that are located in a Silicon Valley radius. Uh, but, uh, but to Greg's point, I, I think people are also open now more than ever to, uh, to people that are, that are elsewhere. Um, well, I, I, and I think, uh, you know, to carry forward our discussions, um, you know, Drew and Greg, uh, as you, you know, think about how your companies are benefiting from what's going on and, and re receiving all the inbound interest, um, what are the things that, that you're doing to make sure that your company is, is, uh, is in, a, in a good a position as possible to, um, to be ready for such, a, such an event? Drew, why don't I start with you? Well, kind of looking at things uh, in reverse order, uh, uh, when I joined Forecast 5, Riverwood had just acquired Forecast 5, so I was able to see the diligence that happened uh, back in 2018 and was able to see the work you had done, uh, Louie, with diligence and your findings. And so I was able to take that and really have a playbook. And so I really started with the disclosure schedules, the findings and, and the documents, and I've worked backwards to have clean documents. Uh, some of the items that we're seeing, for instance, like in trends or some labor issues around the country on simple things like employee versus contractor. A lot of states are clamping down on contractors when they're really employees. And so we're addressing that at our company and really documenting job descriptions and creating a strong paper trail why someone's a contractor versus employee. The other trend we're seeing across the United States, because we have employees in many states, 
is uh, non-exempt versus exempt employees. And again, what we're doing is we're creating the documentation today that could stand up in, in diligence uh, in the future. Uh, we also, uh, on terms of our books, uh, where we've made adjustments or reclassifications, we've gone back to prior periods. So we have comparability year over year and made adjustments with our books, whether it's, it's an audit adjustment or a, um, uh, uh, some type of allocation or internal adjustment. Thanks, Drew. And, and uh, for folks that are on the line, please use the Q&A function and towards the end of the call, uh, we'll try and go through those. And if I see them pop up uh, uh, and they're relevant to the discussion, I'll, I'll try and introduce them as, as we go. Um, Greg and, and Jenny, uh, what are you seeing as kind of the things that, that are on your radar screen to kind of be ready for, for an inbound? Jenny, maybe you want to start? Yeah, yeah, sure. It depends on um, the company, right? And especially it has to do with how long the company has been in operation. The longer it is, the more quote unquote cleanup to do. So the first, um, Drew alluded to it, is just uh, how clean are your financials, right? If you have an operating history one to three years, it's fairly easy to go clean up. And sometimes companies go through a trigger point where you know, because I have to take out a loan and it requires me to start my first year audit. So that is a triggering point to look back and am I booking things in the right way? You know, in accounting jargon, US compliance, GAAP compliance, right? And if you are in SaaS company, there's a new um, accounting procedure called ASC 606. Some of you might have heard about it. So the consequence of what if I do not adopt the new standard 606, I heard about it a lot and I know a lot of people are working on it. What is it? What happens if I don't do? The consequence of that is you just don't have auditable financials. So it's very hard for your auditor to look into and make a right assessment. So like I would emphasize on just keeping the clean financials, that would be your starting point. Right, depending on how long you've been in operation. Annie, let me just stop you right there. If you're a company that has not done an audit to date and you want to be ready for sale, do you tell me the 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 inputs and outputs on whether or not you go out for an audit? Does do to does that put you in a better position for sale, or or, or is that something that is opening up a can of worms? Uh, in, in absolute terms, it is. You're in a better position if you do not have an audit. Sometimes acquirers may ask you for a report called a branded report. That's kind of equivalent of having an audited financial put together over the years in operations. Sometimes it spans five years and 10 years. Just like Drew mentioned, it keeps your financials in a comparable position. So they created the, they meaning the auditors or bankers or financial advisory teams, external teams will come in and they will kind of you know, shape your financials uh, into something more presentable, more comparable. So they call it pro forma financials. So they create the branded report so that you're kind of keeping all your financials on the same platform so that people do not misinterpret your uh, financials over the years. So that's one thing I said. So now I also advise my clients not to do a first year audit unless you're ready for it. And there is a really good reason for it, right? So you need to always weigh in the goods and you know, the bads, right? Whether it's incremental cost, is a disruption in my business, do I really need to do this at this juncture? 
Um, and and Vitaly, I'm curious as to your views as well from an outside advisor perspective. I, I'll just share that um, I, I obviously always prepare to have, prefer to have uh, my clients have audited financials as it, it makes it a lot harder for a buyer to come in and retrade the price or um, you know, challenge the quality of the earnings that we've established. And is uh, obviously if, if they can take, if a buyer can take out an item of revenue, not only are, are you going to have a purchase price adjustment based on that quantum of revenue, it's going to be multiplied by 10 in a SaaS company. So a million dollar misclassification is going to have a $10 million consequence in the purchase price. And so audit is preferred. And then second thing that Jenny is calling a branded report. Um, I, I think another alternative, and, and maybe it's, it's, it's similar, is, is a quality of earnings report. That is, you bring in a, a, an audit firm not to do an audit, but just to do what a buyer would do, which is to go challenge the, the, the financial statements, particularly the P&L items, as, as those are the most uh, uh, vulnerable to, to purchase price adjustment. Vitaly? Yeah, um, I mean, first of all, Louis, you have a screen blocked a little bit with some windows. Um, ah, okay. Um, but uh, while you do that, um, I would say, you know, my bigger concern is always to make sure that there's confidence in the deal. And if the company is operating transparently and professionally cleanly, that gives a lot more confidence to the buyer. Um, you know, price calculations aside, you know, at early stage to mid-market, um, there are a lot more kind of goodwill factors that I see that affect the price. Than, than the technical uh, revenue factors, things like that. So um, I would actually put more concern on just providing confidence and smoothing the roadblocks and potential speed bumps in the transaction. Um, you know, people can lose confidence and, and especially